This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You're live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler, and we've got Graham Williams today. We have an awesome program. Uh, later on, we will be talking about the Rogers-Shaw merger worth over $26 billion and what it means to competition in Canada when it comes to the telecom space. I think there's a lot of strong opinions about that, especially from our hosts. We'll have Carmi Levy on the line, just kind of breaking down what it means for consumers. And is there, uh, I guess, a silver lining in this? Could there actually come some competitive change? And we'll uh, we'll div- uh, dive into that to see where we can go with it. Uh, guys, we've got some interesting uh, tech news uh, this week when it comes to the mobile uh, world. It looks like Chipageddon, which is a worldwide shortage of chips that go into all the devices we use from mobile phones to computers to TVs to even cars, might affect Samsung's uh, Galaxy Note this year. Yikes. <laughs> you know, I, I come from Cambridge, Ontario, where they have both uh, Hostess and Small Fry. So for us, Chipageddon was a very different thing. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I've been affected by this personally, right? Like trying to get a hold of a, uh, a graphics card, trying to get a hold of a, a processor. I'm on my third <laughs> processor in three weeks. I think I must be cursed right now. Um, this kind of this really points to Apple's vertical integration with their stack and being able to control that supply chain. Um, Samsung has got to be feeling the pinch on this. I mean, they're, they're, the whole strategy is iterate year over year, give people something new and faster and sexier, and, and not having access to that that tech is that's really taking the wind out of, the wind out of your sails. Well, it's interesting too because one of the complaints that I think we sometimes have is that there's too many devices in a given cycle and they've actually addressed this in their shareholder call saying, you know, launching two flagship phones in one year might be too much. Um, and, but it also interestingly addresses the, the rumor that we heard that the note line would be discontinued because of the S 21 ultra basically supporting the pen and, and effectively taking over that space uh, that the note had but it seems like they're still intending to release another iteration of the note whenever it's possible for them to do that in the best way that they can. And, you know, Chippegeddon is not helping that respect. Well, it's interesting. So they're talking, I mean, rumors are that they might not release that, but they've just announced a slew of new phones, some new Galaxy phones, the A52, uh, 52 5G and the A72. So it looks like they have chips for that. Yeah, but those are typically the older, slower ones from the previous flagships yeah. as they trickle down the line, if you will. Well, uh, we're uh, looking to get our hands on some of those new Samsung uh, phones, and uh, we'll be doing some reviews on those uh, as uh, as well. Uh, also in the uh, the mobile news, uh, this was interesting. Utah is considering uh, a bill that would install anti-porn filters on new phones. And in other news, uh, the sale of phones in Utah has dropped to zero and surrounding states has <laughs> shot up subsequently. No one's buying a phone in Utah if you do this. They are actually, so here's the thing. If you go take a look, Utah is one of the highest consumers of pornography in the United States. This is like, this is do as I say, not as I do. And come on. How would they, make, how they, would they make that work? Relax. How would they make that work? Hey, Apple, they wouldn't. You, you have to install this on your phones. Well, I can tell you what Apple would say. See you, Utah. <laughs> We've just uninstalled Utah from our Apple Store strategy today. I, yeah. You know, 
I like what kind of thinking goes on in these politicians' minds. Like, okay, I, I I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make the world a better place. Blah blah blah. But like logistically, how would this work? Well, and, and so here's the thing: it, it it wouldn't at all, right? Like trying to say to all of the manufacturers, you need to install this software on your devices. That drives up the cost per device. Right, even if it's just a software download, now you basically created this whole portal where before the device has to get no. There's there's nothing here that actually works. What this is is you've got some politicians who I will guarantee you are on the grift who are looking for something to distract from what it is that they're doing, so that they can get people to focus on something else. Yeah, and you know we say make the world a better place. This is this is like let's well, that's a bit of a loaded statement here. This does not make the world a better place. Parents, parent your kids. Use your parental controls. Adults. Mind your own business as to what people do with their phones. If it's not, if it doesn't make you feel good, don't do it. Now, if we're talking about things like exploitation, and there are laws to deal with that, and that is that is the domain of law enforcement. That is that is the domain of you. You write a law about that. You don't force this on the manufacturer. It's amazing here that these groups who are so free market and you know let the market decide have decided suddenly out of nowhere to regulate this weird one little thing. Utah has better things to do, and let's take care of its people and not worry about what's going on on their phones. I also think it's kind of interesting slash ridiculous that I would think that they could get this just for their state versus this being more a federal appeal that, that maybe they would be the crusader for that federal appeal. So all phones in the United States have to have this anti-porn filter on there. And it's just like, again, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I I just I'm I'm I can't fathom the amount of time and effort it's gone into to get this even to this point there. Do you know what I mean? Like, do they not have more pressing issues? They yes. absolutely do. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, guys, wait, 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 wait! I got it. What if we make the phone companies put a porn filter on their phones? Genius! That has solved hunger. That has solved homelessness. That has solved all of our problems. Oh my god! Come on. I want to talk uh, today uh, before we go to break, guys, about our contest. We're giving away a really cool prize. It's called a Tut Trainer. This is an all-in-one fitness gym. It's even got like a little rowing machine on it as well. Ties in with a a cool exercise app that has uh, videos you can uh, follow along to do the exercises. Again, called a Tut Trainer. We are giving away one of these. It's worth $1,500. It is super cool, super portable as well. You can take this with you uh, as well. It uh, can be uh, put into a wall, but easily disconnected or even uh, you can get a clamp for it to clamp it into uh, a door frame uh, which we've tried and it it works really well if you uh, want to enter go to our website getconnectedmedia.com there's instructions there on how to even get extra entries as well to give you a higher chance of uh, winning this prize and at the end of the program we're going to be telling you what the secret word is for even more entries yes there's a secret word but you'll have to listen to the entire program Talking Google Docs now, and, and more specifically, the word processing part. I know a lot of people out there use it. Uh, a lot of people also use uh, paid services like uh, Microsoft's uh, Office Suite and Microsoft Word. To help us understand some of the differences and why you'd want to use one over the other, we've got our good friend Ted Kritsonos on the line from Toronto. Thanks for joining us, Ted. 
Good to be with you guys. You've done a great uh, blog article up on our website, getconnectedmedia.com, that dives into this uh, a bit more. So if uh, folks out there listening want to read more about it, you can check that out. Uh, Ted wanted to bring you on the line just to talk word processing. A lot of us uh, do a lot of that uh, in our work and personal lives now. Uh, I've been using Microsoft Word for many, many years. I know a lot of people like the Google side. John, you're a Google nut, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Yeah, I just like the fact that I don't have to install anything. and it just It's just sort of there in the cloud. Yeah, you're, you're basically using it through a browser. So, Ted, uh, what are some of the, the differences b- between the two, like, like Microsoft Word and, and Google Docs, for example? Well, I think the two that stand out the most are, like John mentioned, it's online and doesn't require installing an app. And secondly, it's free. So Word, if you're going to use it as far as, as, far as its full gamut, you're going to have to pay for that. Whereas with Docs, you don't have to. So you can use it for free and you can even collaborate with others while using it also, which is one of the value propositions I think that has always been sold when it comes to Google Docs is that not only can you work on a document yourself, but you can invite others to work on it with you in real time. And so that is, I think it's, now it's not that Word can't do that. I mean, it can, but Docs does it better. And I think that's why it, it stands out for a lot of people because they can jump into a document without installing something. So for example, if, if the three of us were working on a document and I started it and I wanted to invite you guys into that, I could, and you guys don't have to really worry about anything. You don't have to install anything. You don't even necessarily have to have a Gmail account to, to do it. So it, it, it's, it's a very accessible way to not just get things done on your own, but to also invite others to help you out. And what do you use uh, traditionally, Ted? I'm, I'm imagining Google Docs. Well, I, I use both. So I, I use Word all the time because I'm also paying for that. So uh, I, <laughs> I pay for a Microsoft 365 subscription. So, yep. you know, I, I use that. And I and it is tough sometimes to wean off a program that you've used for decades pretty much at this point. Uh, but Docs is valuable in some respects too because sometimes if I'm reviewing a product like, a, you know, Google Pixel Book or something, uh, that's where docs really can come in handy. And so other times if I want to share a document with someone that I'm working with, it's a lot easier to do it with docs as opposed to sending a file, a word file through email. And then they, you know, they bring it down, they work on it, then they got to send it back. Whereas on docs, we can work on it together. All the changes are tracked. Everybody's accountable. Everybody knows that everybody's changed what they've done. And it, it becomes a collaborative tool that doesn't have too many hurdles along the way. So I can see why it's, it's, a, it's a benefit for those who are definitely working with people all the time. Whereas if you're working solo, you know, you might do, maybe you use both. I don't know. It really depends on the workflow. Well, I think you touched on an interesting uh, aspect I think a lot of people have to deal with is when you're doing collaborations or even just reviewing documents, someone will email you the Word doc, and then if you don't have Word installed, you have to then open it in presumably Google Docs. Um, the Google just actually added a new feature to Gmail. So if you get that Word document through Gmail, it'll actually use Google Docs to let you edit it and keep it in its original file format. So it'll still be a Word doc, a docx format doc, and it allows you to go in using Google Docs. So you get all the same power of, of that, but actually to change that document, you're not actually downloading it, reopening it, and then resaving it like that whole rigmarole. You don't have to do that anymore if you're using the Gmail and Google Docs that way, which I think is fantastic. 
Yeah, it's a great point because then you're talking about file format compatibility where if you didn't have Word installed in your computer, you would have to download that file, that attachment, and then convert it into some other word processor that would be, I guess, freely available uh, on your device. Like for a Mac, it might be text edit or something like that. And then save it again and then send it back. And then that person has to re-import it back in Microsoft Word. It, it, it doesn't, there's no flow to, no. to that kind of, you know, to doing things that way. So Google has been smart in integrating Word in, in, in ways like you described so that it's, it's almost like it's inviting people to at least try out docs by using something that's familiar. And, you know, I don't know if the idea is to try and get people to convert, but it, it, it might convert some people if they, if they get, you know, if they start to use it and see how, how it works. Most often the problem I see is, you know, different people have different levels of purchasing Microsoft Word or the Office Suite, for example, they might have an old copy from like four years ago that they got before, you know, Office 365 was around. And so sometimes formatting gets lost in those conversions up and down through all that kind of stuff. So I, I just really like that Google's made a really big effort to sort of maintain compatibility, even across older versions as well. And you don't lose that formatting that you would do if you have to resave and re-export and do all that stuff. You certainly can't go the other way as easily no, uh, if you're going no. from docs to word and then back to docs. Yeah, no, no. And, and I like also that they address the offline element. So typically with docs, as you know, you have to be online to use it, but you can download the file for offline editing and then bring it back. And when you've done that, it, it at least notices some of the changes that have been made from the previous saved version. So it, it's, it's kind of cool how they've, you know, they brought in some of those offline elements uh, because that was always an issue before where basically if you were, in, if you were invited or, you know, or someone shared a document with you and you didn't have access, you were on a plane or something like that, you wouldn't have known. So at least if you got it before, you're about to be offline, you can still work on the file, right? So I think at least they, they addressed that in a way that's workable, uh, which is which is important because that was definitely a problem before. Don't have to worry about planes anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I really like that's sort of kind of hidden away in Google Docs is being able to export your file into lots of different formats. Uh, the biggest thing is probably just being able to output a PDF from your file. Um, if you don't have a PDF, if like if you have a Mac, it's kind of built in. You'd have to install Acrobat on a Windows machine. Uh, having the ability to just export that PDF, so then you're not giving someone the ability to edit it if you need to send it somewhere. Um, but they, I'm just checking now. They actually have an EPUB export, so you can actually put it on your Kindle or your yes. your yes. you know whatever your your um, reading device would be. Uh, that's pretty cool. You, you can even render it as a web page even as a framework of say a work in progress website. So you get your ideas down and then you can save that as a temporary web page before all the graphics are brought in and that type of thing. So I think that's a pretty powerful feature that's just, just built in. It is. And, and it's actually, I think it's Google's to, to, to Google's um, detriment that they don't actually highlight these things. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for us doing some research or coming across these things, we wouldn't have known either. Because they don't really, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I haven't seen them really talk about this very much. Well, it's usually buried on some Google blog that no yeah. one ever sees. <laughs> yeah. So, 
you know, these are these are useful tools, uh, especially for those who can really get a lot out of them. Uh, but even if you're using it that one time that it comes in handy, it's something that's that that's easy to do, and which I think is the key, right? It's it's not hard to do those things with Google Docs. Whereas with Word or Microsoft, generally, you may have to take an extra couple of steps to do it. Not to mention, of course, that you have to pay <laughs> to have that kind of access with Word. Whereas with Docs, you don't. So I know that there's go. There's always going to be some concern also over privacy because it's Google. Uh, but I, I don't know if if it's that significant in this case. Obviously, anything that's free, you gotta you have to ask that question. Like if it's some if it's free, where you know where's the value? Well, I'm reading all your documents right now, Ted. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it, it, that that's definitely something I think that people should also look into as well. Uh, if you if you are comfortable with what the privacy policy states, great. Uh, but, you know, because it is free, I think it is worth looking into that as well. We've been talking with Ted Kritsonos all about Google Docs and how it compares to Microsoft Word. I have to congratulate both of you. I never thought we could spend 10 minutes talking about a word processor, but we have, <laughs> we have done that. We're going to talk about the big merger. This is big news in the telecom space. Rogers uh, is basically purchasing or merging with Shaw. It's a $26 billion deal. And we want to talk about the ramifications and what this means for Canadian consumers. We've got a great guest on the line. His name is Carmi Levy. He's with the Infotech Research Group. Thanks for joining us, Carmi. Thanks for having me, guys. Who's your carrier? Uh, I am with TELUS on wireless and we're with Rogers at home. Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually with Shaw. Uh, right now, uh, when it comes to my my TV and my my home internet, and I was actually quite pleased when they came out with their Shaw Mobile service. Like it just dramatically changed the the landscape uh, out here as far as pricing. You know, I was able to get a, a plan for forty five bucks for uh, you know unlimited data. You know, twenty five gigabytes of which were fast data, and also I could get uh, talk and text lines for free. And so mm-hmm. you know, I got my parents on that. I'm kind of worried now, <laughs> you know, is that going to change? What do you think well, this means overall for the competitive landscape in, in Canada? We're back basically to the same big three again, no matter what the government did to try to stir up this competition. It, it, it didn't work, did it? It didn't. And, you know, I've been talking about this very issue for the better part of the last decade and a half and writing about it and researching it. And, you know, the, the trajectory has always been the government through Industry Canada makes all sorts of pronouncements that they want more a more competitive telecommunications landscape. They, uh, you know, try to encourage smaller players to come into the market to set up in you know regions that have traditionally been underserved. And then those players uh, grow or fail to grow, as the case may be, and ultimately get folded back into the big boys. And that's exactly what we've seen. All of the, the new players who entered the market in the late aughts uh, have now been reabsorbed. And Freedom was the last, last one standing, and now it too is going to be absorbed like the Borg. And so the government can say what it wants, but um, you can't you know, simply make a statement and then not follow it up with, with consistent enforcement. Uh, in the face of, uh, you know, consolidation in the marketplace, the government needs to take a different line. And that hasn't happened, which essentially means from a consumer perspective, we now have less choice and we're about to have even less choice, uh, which means that 
small players like Shaw that bring innovation to the market won't exist, which ultimately means we'll pay more, we'll get less, we'll have fewer choices. Could the government have done anything differently, in your opinion? I think so. And I think, you know, when, you know, when a, a large player, and it doesn't matter if it's Rogers, if it's Bell, if it's Telus, that, you know, when they made various proposals to grow through acquisition, which really has been uh, the core of their growth strategy for the better part of the last decade and a half, uh, instead of ultimately believing uh, their promises that it would be more competitive and not really putting any uh, competition-based limitations on the deals, uh, they folded up their tents and went home. They allowed it to happen. And so, you know, for example, Rogers is making all sorts of promises now saying, you know, we're not going to raise prices on, on our Freedom Mobile brand for the next three years if this, if this deal goes through. Um, but there are enough loopholes that you can drive a truck through that. And then what happens after three years? Uh, where does that leave the consumer then? And so, uh, you know, what the government could have done differently was, uh, you know, draw a line in the sand and stick to it. And And they could have said, uh, no, we want to maintain a diverse telecommunications landscape. Canadian consumers deserve that. Uh, and you, I don't care how many billions of dollars you wave in our face. It's not going to happen. I have to put my other hat on. Is Canada a big enough country to have more than three players then? Really? I mean, you look at our population. We're a tenth mm-hmm. the size of um, the United States, mm-hmm. uh, even Europe, China. They've got, you know, how many over a billion people there. I mean, Canada's population is about the size of one Chinese city. <laughs> so mm-hmm. can can we support more than three main players, really, at the end of the day? Well, considering the level of profit of the existing players, there's certainly room for more. You know, can it be the same number as in the U.S. or China or any other uh, high-density nation? Probably not. Um, certainly, we're, ne- we're never going to get to the economies of scale of a country like the U.S. or most European countries that have much larger populations within much smaller land masses. Truth of the matter is Canada is a very hard country to deploy telecommunication services, whether it's broadband, land-based, or, uh, or wireless. Um, so there is a limit, but I don't think we're there yet. And you know, maybe we, we can only support three national players, but we can also support smaller regional players that can be more agile in delivering better, more cost-effective services outside of urban areas, which anyone who lives in rural Canada knows they've always been underserved um, because the major players simply don't care. So there is room, but because of the regulatory landscape, there hasn't been any incentive. And uh, smaller companies know that at some point, if they just bide their time, eventually they'll get a big payout, they'll get bought out, uh, and the government won't stand in their way. It's interesting, you know, on one aspect, you know, for one of these small players to actually flourish, you know, we saw it when they tried to open up the wireless spectrum to, you know, new competition but mm-hmm. like you said it costs a lot of money billions to set up uh, a national mm-hmm. infrastructure and you know they don't have that money i, I think with wind mobile which became freedom uh, they had to get foreign investment in and you know there had to be concessions made for that so uh you know is that something we have to factor into this as well should we open this up to more foreign competition and then you know as canadians then you're going to get the argument no we want our own canadian solution we don't want foreigners owning all the telecoms and that's uh, anytime you mention uh, foreign ownership you know that of course you know gets everyone sort of shaking in ottawa they're kind of afraid of that and they will stand against it that has been somewhat taboo uh to date and that's sort of one of the 
the reasons or justifications that the feds use to allow mega deals like this, well, at least they're Canadian. It isn't foreign ownership. But the truth of the matter is we are at a bit of an inflection point in telecommunications history right now. Uh, 5G networks are being built out as we speak, and you know they cost a lot more than earlier generations of technology. So you heard that in the language of the Roger Shaw deal was that uh, you know, Shaw was struggling with the investment in next generation wireless, and Roger said, we're going to spend this amount of money. Um, but were so, they going to spend that money anyway, Carmi? They, they they were, yeah. uh, and you know it it makes for it makes for a real easy justification. It's it's almost like they're crying poor when they weren't. And the truth of the matter is is you're going to invest, but you're going to get that money back. I mean, this is an investment in the future and a 5G. If you can't profit off of that over the next 10 to 15 years, then you shouldn't be in business in the first place. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cry some crocodile tears for Shaw because they would have made money, but it makes for a lovely excuse now to justify the deal and to say, okay, we'll keep it in Canada and we'll have all this investment, which we would have had anyway. We're talking about the Roger Shaw merger. It's worth $26 billion. It's going to change the landscape once again. Shaw, once a regional player will now be uh, swallowed up into the, the Rogers sides. We've got Carmi Levy again talking uh, about his thoughts on the merger. So competition once again comes down to the, the three, the big guys. Um, do you think that perhaps the government can look at another way to bring innovation and competition through, and um, I forget the acronym, M- MVNOs? Well, I think we've we've been down that route before. You know, we've seen alternative brands launched in Canada before: Virgin, Fido, Kudo, uh, you know, Public Mobile, uh, Chatter. Um, but in all cases, without exception, they were eventually absorbed by the major players. And so you have consumers who will, in fact, buy from Virgin, not realizing that it is a captive now that now it is a captive bell. Uh, a product and brand. Uh, and so we've had that experimentation, but ultimately they couldn't scale nationally and they were absorbed. Uh, I think the answer is 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 going to come from an American innovator. And right now we're looking at SpaceX. They're, you know, every couple of weeks, they're launching another uh, Falcon 9 rocket with a whole bunch of Starlink satellites on it. You can go to their website now and sign up for beta coverage. It is somewhat expensive uh, relative to uh, traditional uh, internet offerings, but uh, it offers something that Canadian telecommunications companies have not been able to offer largely rural consumers, which is relatively affordable, high-speed access, low-latency access outside of urban areas. Uh, and so, you know, the answer is, you know, the federal government has dillied and dallied for so long that essentially an American tech company has figured out a solution to cross borders, uh, to leapfrog over regulatory limitations and essentially offer something up that no one else can. And so if I am a Canadian operator, I'm probably gonna be looking at SpaceX going, geez, at some point they're gonna out-innovate me. What do I do to counter that? Now I've gotta get competitive. Carmi, it's interesting with um, the whole Starlink, you know, Elon Musk's company there offering satellite internet service. like. I know the government and the CRTC, you know, obviously want to regulate it and, you know, make sure that it uh, adheres to Canadian regulations and laws. But how do they do that, really? Like, Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, I just need a satellite dish from them that I can get sent to me and set it up. And the government would never know I was getting their service. Exactly. And they're going to have to come up with an answer at some point, because right now it is the equivalent of the Wild West. If you're a Canadian consumer, you can go ahead and sign up for it. Um, and, if, and ultimately, you'll be able to get it. You, I can get signal right from my house uh, here if I want, and I can sign up for it. And nothing anyone does, no one can stop me. 
Um, but you know, the reality is technology now supplants geography. The government is going to have to figure out a way to allow services like this to bring uh, connectivity to Canadians that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to get. It solves a problem. And you know, this is the way competitive markets work. Innovative companies identify gaps and then introduce solutions that fill those gaps. And that's what SpaceX Starlink has done. Uh, and I applaud them for it. And if it, if it sort of lights a bit of a fire under the federal government, as well as the major telecoms to finally do something about this, you know, ever, you know, ever higher price point, ever lower uh, service, uh, then I think that's a good thing. And it'll be interesting to see how they respond to this interloper in the years to come. Let's talk about uh, MVNOs uh, a little bit more, mobile virtual network operators. Uh, Mm -hmm. These are companies that would basically wholesale, like buy wholesale connectivity from the big three and resell that. Exactly. They don't own infrastructure. They don't own spectrum. They don't own anything else. They basically access the resources of the major telecommunications companies at wholesale rates. Uh, And the problem with MVNOs to date, true MVNOs, has been that uh, the major players have fought them tooth and nail. They've launched lawsuits against them at every step uh, to prevent them from gaining access to their networks. They've fought the federal government on wholesale rates. So how much can they charge third party players like MVNOs to access their networks? Uh, And to a certain extent, you know, the argument and the argument needs to be heard is that they're saying they spent billions of dollars building out this infrastructure. Why should they just give it away? What is that fair amount? Where is that balance where, you know, one invests and takes a risk and then the other benefits from that? Uh, And I think that's a national conversation that has to happen. It's happened largely in the shadows to date. Um, but ultimately, I think it, it needs to be uh, held in a public forum and Canadians need to educate themselves on, um, you know, what is a fair level of, of investment and what is a fair level of competition based on that investment? Because at the end of the, of the day, that's what determines how much you and I are going to pay for these services. And I think we can all agree and study after study confirms that we're paying too much. We're not getting enough and something needs to change. But couldn't the government, I mean, this to me, and it, it's very uh, simple thinking right because obviously this is a complex issue mm-hmm. couldn't they just basically tell the the big three hey you have to let these mvnos in this is what rate you're going to charge them and you know regulate that and then come up with other regulations that they can't buy them can they do that they certainly could um they certainly could take a harder line against the major telcos but uh, they've been hesitant to do that because anytime ottawa gets tough on them or threatens to get tough Um, the major players say, well, then we're just not going to invest this much money. We're going to lay off this many people. We're going to stop serving these regions. We're going to reduce our coverage, whatever it is. Um, And so there's always this sort of threat in the background because they're major Canadian employers and investors in the economy uh, and ultimately bellwether companies. Government's afraid to tick them off too much. Uh, And I think that needs to end. They, They hold a lot of sway in political circles. And, you know, maybe the government needs to stand up to them a little bit more and see what happens. I'd like to see that happen because right now acquiescing to big tech and big, big telco really hasn't gotten us anywhere. And I think it's time for a change in, change in strategy. Well, I just wonder what the public appetite is for it now. I think, you know, we've seen cell phone rates come down dramatically in the past year. Uh, you know, I'm paying, you know, less than 40 bucks a month now for, uh, you know, pretty good data plans. So, you know, will they care enough to really force their, local politicians uh, and federal politicians to uh, to make this uh, a main issue. 
Uh, yeah, I think we need. I think we need to look at all of the services they get: wireless, you know, you know, land-based broadband. Yeah. Uh, look at your total monthly hit, and then ask yourself: Am I paying too much? Compare yourself to people in other countries, and the answer usually is yes. We've been talking with Carmi Levy. He's from the Infotech Research Group. Carmi, thanks again for joining us. So great being here, guys. Thank you. Been a fantastic program. We've learned a lot. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the contest again. GetConnectedMedia.com is the place. Giving away a TUT training system. This thing is uh, amazing. So portable as well. It'll fit in any house or condo. Works in conjunction with an app and videos. You can follow along to actually do the exercises. And we've been teasing the secret words. The secret word this week, if you want those extra entries, is blockchain. All one word. And again, you'll have instructions on how to enter that up on our website, getconnectedmedia.com. John, uh, interesting uh, just about the whole Roger Shaw merger there. And I just wonder where that's all going to go. Like we've got the best rates we've had in forever. You know, under agreed, 50 bucks yeah. for the yeah. the cell phone side. The the challenge I have now is on the internet side. Can we get that? You know, the the home internet. Can we get that price down? Because I you know I think I'm paying 100 bucks. You're probably up there as well. Yeah, I'm paying about 120 now because I added some extra channels. But um, that's but but that's also with gigabit inter- internet as well. So, yeah. but you're living yeah. large. Well, yeah, but it it shouldn't be that high. I still think. And, you know, I was talking to Carmi off air about, you know, when we see things in Europe, we see things in the United States, the competition that's in the pricing structures that are out there are mind blowing, like being able to get everything that we're getting now, let's say it's $200 all in for your cell phone and your home internet and your TV, being able to get that for like a hundred dollars or less, which is pretty common in, in the, in the U S and, uh, and in Europe. I, I could handle that. I uh, want to thank you, John, of course, as always. And we'll uh, give some thanks to Christina, our producer as well, back at the studio. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, Get Connected. You can find more information about that up again on our website, getconnectedmedia.com. And uh, we podcast uh, both of those as well. So whether uh, you're on uh, Apple iTunes uh, or the Google Play Store or Spotify, you can find it there as well. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.